Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Human Experience Live show. We have an incredibly entertaining show for you, planned for you guys today. So sit back, grab a drink, enjoy this conversation. My guest for today is Mr. Norman Oler. Norman Oler is a journalist, novelist, and screenwriter. His articles have been printed in many high-level publications. Today, we're going to be covering his first nonfiction book titled Blitzed. Drugs in the Third Reich, a book that looks at how methamphetamine was utilized by the Nazi war machine. His book has since gone international bestseller and has been translated in, into over 25 different languages. Norman, it's a pleasure, sir. Welcome to HXP. Thank you for having me. It's uh, good to uh, be on your um, show. Yeah, thanks so much for making the time for this. Uh, it, it's pretty late for you over there. You're based in Berlin, isn't that right? Yeah, it's midnight here in Berlin. Um, there's a, a rain shower coming down because it was a very hot day. Um, so I think everyone in the city is still awake because it's just been too warm. And it's actually the shortest uh, night of the year tonight. Huh. Okay, I mean, that, that sets the stage for sure. Why, why, don't you, why don't you paint a little picture about your background? You know, get us started into how, how you decided to write this book as well, please. Um, I always wanted to write something about um, those dark Nazi times because it's the most fascinating period in our in our history, well, at least in our German history. Um, but I never really knew what to write about it, and so much has been written about it. Uh, so it's kind of kind of hard to figure out what what take you wanna you want to uh, go into. So. Um, when I spoke to my grandfather when I was a teenager about um, the so-called Third Reich, Third Reich, by the way, is a, is a Nazi propaganda term, so I actually don't like to use it that often. Um, when I first spoke to him about it, uh, asking him what his role was and heard stories of a country that was ruled by an orderly leader and uh, a system that was uh, very disciplined and uh, Nazi myths like that, that he was still, still transporting in the late 80s. Um, I thought that really at one point I want to have a closer look at this. But as I said before, I, I didn't re really know how, what I should what I should examine mm. uh, until um, about, when was that? Like uh, five, no, no, longer ago, nine years ago, a friend of mine told me that the Nazis used all these drugs and that was completely uh, contrary to what my grandfather has always told me he would uh, like after, if you listen to his stories and then you hear my friend saying the nazis used all these drugs uh, it, it, it didn't match up so um i was um i started to do research well first of course first of all i asked my friend why what, what makes you say that what what, what gives you this impression and my friend who told me this uh, he's a dj in berlin and um 
He's uh, quite knowledgeable about drugs and also about uh, Nazi Germany. He's interested in history, but how would he make the connection that there had been a lot of drug use? And he told me this very unusual story. He said that um, a friend of his, an antique dealer in Berlin, had found an old medicine cabinet in an old East Berlin apartment, which um, had um, a couple of packages of uh, medicine called Pervitin inside. Mm -hmm. And this friend of my friend, he uh, swallowed uh, some of these pills and said that they still had a very uh, potent um, um, effect on him. So this kind of curious story that there was a, a medicine called Pervitin and that it was that these pills, even though they were 70 years old, were still having a stimulating effect. That kind of got me interested, and then I researched what was the content of pervitin, and then I, it got really interesting because the content of pervitin is methamphetamine. So um, I had to conclude that methamphetamine had been used uh, in Nazi Germany in, in normal medicines that were being that were being sold, apparently uh, legally sold, and that got my research started. Hmm. Okay, and I mean, you you started. I mean, in the opening pages of your book, you you went and visited the, the Tem Temmler factory, right? Yeah, Temmler was the manufacturer of uh, methamphetamine. It was, a, at the time, medium-sized pharmaceutical company in Germany that actually became a large pharmaceutical uh, company in Germany because methamphetamine was such a successful product. Um, when they started out with developing methamphetamine, they had no idea actually what it really was. They just realized that um, if you take it, you feel somehow energized. And uh, to be energized was the big buzzword of those times. Um, I guess just like it is today. I mean, we all need as much energy as we can the whole day in order to perform at our best. Hmm. So this was already true in Nazi Germany. So um, Temmler put... Um, uh, um, uh, created or paid for a, a huge advertisement campaign. They thought methamphetamine could become as popular as Coca-Cola, uh, which was the number one drink in Nazi Germany, mm -hmm. um, not only because it was brown, which was the color of the Nazis, but also because it gave you like an extra little boost. So Temmler thought with methamphetamine, you got a much bigger boost. So they, um, they advertised it uh, across the board and it uh, did become a big success to the company. Um, in 1938, it came on the market and it quickly flooded um, uh, Nazi Germany. So in Nazi Germany, uh, methamphetamine was a legal, very popular product. So this is a, a very unusual situation, I thought. So, so Pervitin was the, the brand name? What was the active ingredient in Pervitin? Methamphetamine. Oh, okay, and I mean, you—if if, we take a step a little bit back, I mean, was this available over the counter without a pre prescription? Um, yes, it was. Um, when the Nazis took power in 1933, one of the first things they did was to outlaw all drugs. They were—they posed as the first anti-drug government in Europe, claiming that. Um, the Jews in Germany, the, the the minority of the Jews, they were all into drugs, and this is poisoning the German uh, people. So they they kind of used anti-drug policy as a policy to to outlaw or to criminalize um, uh, Jews and, and 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 other people that they that they didn't like. 
Um, the irony then is uh, that in 1938, as I mentioned before, methamphetamine comes onto the market and is not recognized as a drug. It's it's seen as um, something like aspirin or something like like a coffee coffee in a pill form. Mm -hmm. So you could just go to any pharmacy and buy uh, a thousand packages of methamphetamine. There's no problem with that. Uh, children could buy it. Um, that no one thought it had it would it should be regulated. Um, yeah, so this was uh, this, it, it, so methamphetamine in a way um, substituted all those drugs that the Nazis had made illegal. So it was like a cure all for so many different things. Yeah, it was um, it was supposed to be good against hay fever, against the flu. Against fatigue, obviously, it was used for losing weight because you can't really, you're not really that hungry on methamphetamine, I suppose. Um, it was supposed to be good for the uh, uh, for for the sex drive, um, so it was also used as like a type of stimulant, uh, private stimulants. It was really used. It was praised to be good for basically anything, a cure all, as you said. Hmm. So if you were to compare Previtin to the methamphetamine on the street today, what would be the potency comparison if we were to analyze that? Well, one pill of Previtin contained um, three milligrams of methamphetamine. And um, methamphetamine, so it was used orally and it was produced by Temla uh, under... Um, I suppose, very good conditions. It was a professional pharmaceutical company making very pure methamphetamine. So that's very different from the street crystal meth that is cooked in, um, in I don't know, yeah, uh, trailer parks sure. or wherever it's cooked or uh, slums in, Czech, in the Czech Republic, uh, if we talk about Europe. Um, so... so um, I guess taking a line of crystal meth is much more uh, dangerous than swallowing a pill of uh, pervitin at the time, because the the substance was controlled. It was uh, you know it was every pill had the same amount and it was you know, clean and the quality was assured. All of that mm -hmm. uh, stuff. So I guess for a crystal meth consumer these days, it would have been it would be a dream to take a pervitin pill. Hmm. Uh, of course, pervitin methamphetamine was addictive uh, at the time, just like it is today. So it was a, a very dangerous pill. Uh, but this was not realized for quite some time. So for a few years, uh, pervitin was on the market and people became addicted without really knowing it. I mean, they appreciated the product and they took more and more, but people weren't so aware of the problem of addiction. I mean, addiction was connected to morphine and cocaine, but if people used pervitin, they never thought that would, that would also create an addiction. Mm -hmm. That changed a little bit later uh, during, uh, during the so-called Third Reich. Hmm. It's, it's really fascinating to go over the history of when this drug was sort of invented and, and was available so so readily uh, who was professor rank he he was sort of the driving force of getting 
the German army army to make use of Perriton specifically? What did, what role did Pref- Professor Rank uh, uh, play in in this process? Well, Rank um, pronounced Ranke in German, um, but we can call him Rank. That's okay. fine. Uh, Rank um, was the professor of physiology. Um, employed by the German Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht is the German army at the time. Uh, his job was to find ways to improve the performance of the German soldier. Um, so he was responsible for making suggestions such as should the soldiers eat white bread or brown bread or what kind of cloth should the uniform be made of when they fight in tropical in the in tropical climate. So he was concerned with all kinds of things, and um, one of his main interests was to combat fatigue, because he said and he wrote about it even before Pervertin, before he discovered Pervertin, he wrote that um, a tired soldier is not a good soldier he, because a tired soldier doesn't shoot accurately anymore and is not good in combat. And unfortunately, human beings do get tired uh, in the evening or after uh, a lot of hours of daytime. We just, we humans do get tired. So he thought, wouldn't wouldn't it be great to find a way to make a soldier combat ready for like 24 hours? Mm -hmm. And then when Pervitin came on the market and people talked about it and, you know, Probably some friends of his talked about it, or he had, he saw an ad uh, by the Temla company in a, in the subway car in Berlin. Or it's not clear how he first heard about Pervitin, but Pervitin was very known in in thirty eight in Germany. There was even chocolate on the market that was laced with methamphetamine. Um, so he knew about it, and he then started doing some research. And there were some universities in Germany that had done. Uh, um, uh, exam uh, research on uh, methamphetamine, and that and they some some of these uh, papers that had been written on methamphetamine had included the fact that methamphetamine makes you less tired. So he became rank, became very interested in methamphetamine, hmm. and did tests among young medical officers uh, in his um, institute, and uh, concluded after he he'd done these tests with uh, with these. Um, with these young students, giving them either methamphetamine, cough, uh, caffeine, or placebos, he found out that the people on meth um, were actually able to stay awake longer. Um, and he was in, he was thrilled with those um, results. And um, he suggested this to his superiors. He said, "We have to use this. This will give us an advantage uh, over our enemies." Because at the time, no one had thought about using something like methamphetamine to uh, keep a soldier from sleeping. I mean, that was in a way a, a, a genius idea that he had. Um, so he, 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 he made it his job to make sure that methamphetamine would be introduced to the German army. And um, that's how uh, the army uh, became interested in the medication. Hmm, okay, so... So, so fast forwarding a little bit, in April 1940, the World War II kicks off in 1938 or so, right? Uh, World War II starts September 1st, 1939, 1939. Germany, attack, okay. Germany attacking Poland. 
And in April 1940, the stimulant decree was issued. So that that was sent out to all the medical doctors in in the army, advising them on how to use methamphetamine. Uh, what what information did the decree contain? What did what was in this decree that that people needed to know? Well, when Rank suggested that methamphetamine should be used on a large scale, uh, this was in summer '39, just before Germany attacked Poland. His superiors had no clue really what he was talking about. This, the German surgeon general, he basically declined it. He said uh, that this was not really uh, of concern to the German army to now use paritin. He didn't really, he didn't get it basically. And then when Germany attacked Poland, Ranke uh, wrote to all the medical officers in the field asking them to report back to him their experiences with um, pervitin because he knew that many medical officers brought pervitin on a private basis. They had they just bought it from, from pharmacies and distributed it, but there was no regulation. And for Ranke, that was in a way a nightmare because he knew that methamphetamine is a strong drug and to have millions of soldiers out there in the field fighting, a lot of them using a very strong drug without any uh, regulation, for him that was a very risky thing. So before Germany attacked France, he again made the point and he said, we have to regulate this and we have to actually stimulate the, the, the uh, consumption of methamphetamine. And this had to do with the strategy that Germany was in, uh, applying uh, in their attack uh, on the Western Allies, in their attack on um, Belgium, um, the Netherlands and France, which started in May 1940, because that attack was the real it was the the it, it was the, the 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 blueprint for the so-called blitz uh, blitzkrieg blitzkrieg is um um a german invention which which translated means speed war so the idea is to overrun the enemy within a short period of time in the first couple of days you you advance so quickly into enemy territory um, that the uh, that the enemy forces are, are overwhelmed and are beaten within uh, the, within the span of like let's say a week or two. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the plan that they implied in France, and they wanted to go through the Ardennes Mountains, uh, which is a, a mountainous terrain in in Belgium that the French and the British didn't really defend because they thought no army could go through this very difficult terrain, especially not with tanks. Um, because you have to move very slowly and you have to rest at night and it would be for an army it would be very dangerous to go through that terrain but this was exactly what the Germans did and with the help of methamphetamine they didn't have to rest at night so they were able to race through those mountains within three days and three nights without stopping reaching France um, within those uh, three days and three nights while the British and French um, allies uh, we're still in the north of Belgium, expecting the attack of Germany to come from there. So the Germans completely uh, surprised uh, um, uh, the West, um, and they were only able to do that because they were uh, taking uh, 35 million dosages of methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. So their whole advancing army did not need to sleep for several days and nights. So Ranke um, was... Uh, uh, envisioning that he he said because the tactic that the plan had already been laid out in February in February Hitler had decided we will go through the Aden Mountains our soldiers will not sleep 
because there's the German superheroes who, who don't need to sleep. The generals all said, well, they have to sleep. They're just human beings. Mm -hmm. And then, then Ranky's hour kind of came because he said, well, I have something that can turn them into those superhumans that don't need to sleep. So he wrote down the uh, what you mentioned, the, the stimulant degree, which is a, a two-page um, paper. It's the first uh, paper in, medical, in, in military history that uh, describes how a whole army should um, use a, a very powerful synthetic stimulant, in this case methamphetamine. It describes to the medical officers what, officers what is methamphetamine, namely uh, a stimulant that keeps you, that keeps, uh, you uh, from sleeping, that keeps you awake. Mm -hmm. And then it describes also some other effects that happen on methamphetamine. For example, that you become more aggressive, that you lose some of your fear, some of your inhibitions. So uh, it, it, it kind of explains to the medical officers what methamphetamine is and how much they should give out. They should start with a pill then they should give the next pill after six hours, and they should give the next pill after another six hours. So this, this was three pills in a span of 12 hours, which is nine milligrams of pure methamphetamine, which is quite a lot and certainly enough to, uh, to, to, to make a soldier aggressive and functioning and, and well, uh, make the whole war machine well-oiled. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, different branches of the, the military were taking different amounts, right? I mean, how many... It, it, how many total dosages uh, would you say went out? Did you say millions of dosages of this drug went out? Well, there's a paper in the military archives of Germany um, which give the exact number of pills that were ordered by the Wehrmacht uh, from the Temmler company, and these are 35 million dosages just for this Western campaign. Um, there are no records of how many pills of those 35 million were actually taken. Um, I assume that most of them were taken because there's a lots of reports um, of how the drug was distributed. So it's, it's pretty clear that the pills were distributed to the tank troops, especially because the German strategy was to use the tanks as um, the leading uh, weapon in the attack which was a very unusual tactic. Usually the tanks would stay behind, the infantry would, would race forward, and the artillery would fight, and then the tanks would kind of come from the back. But the Germans kind of reversed uh, that, that lineup and said, we're going to use the tanks kind of as race cars. They should race into enemy territory as fast as they could and as far as they could. And tanks actually are quite fast machines. So uh, that's what what the Germans did uh, with, uh, so the tank troops uh, basically were all methed up and, and if, in fact didn't stop um, racing until they had reached the Atlantic. So when they had, uh, after three days and three nights, uh, reached the French border town of Sedan, uh, they should have stopped. This was Hitler's plan. We, we get there and then we stop and we regroup and then we see how the battle continues but they were so uh, hopped up that they just continued to race forward through the whole country of France until they reached the, the Atlantic. They basically couldn't stop anymore. They were just fighting and conquering, Jeez. and they were an unstoppable force. And the first rumors of the unbeatable Wehrmacht made their rounds. The French became really scared. They basically gave up very quickly. The Belgian uh, forces gave up. The Dutch forces gave up. 
uh, nothing could stand in the way of those uh, crazy uh, German uh, in, uh, of this crazy German war machine that was fueled with drugs, but also uh, that had a brilliant strategy. So you cannot say that it was just the drugs that made the German victory in the West. It was the drugs combined with the strategy, with the extremely uh, uh, good training of the soldiers, with the, uh, the, the Luftwaffe coordinating their attacks with the tanks on the ground. Mm -hmm. So the overall package was, was very effective. But the drug methamphetamine played a crucial role uh, in this, uh, in this uh, setup. Hmm, okay, I mean, a question just popped up in our, our chat box. I, I think it's relevant here. Did the soldiers have a crash after they took all this stimulant to march for three days? And any health effects for them? Well, one of the most famous tank generals, um, his name is Guderian. Um, he, he had had the idea of this campaign through the Aden Mountains together with Rommel and von Manstein, these three kind of unconventional tank uh, uh, generals suggested that to Hitler. And Guderian, after France was uh, taken, said to his men uh, on record, um, he said, quote, uh, I have asked you to stay awake for three days and three nights. You managed to do so for 17 days and 17 nights. This is, act this is of course, a crazy number. Even on methamphetamine, I think it's impossible to stay awake for such a long time. Mm -hmm. But I think they did stay awake for very long time and then had short breaks of rest and sleep and then again uh, they would go for a very long period of time so that's what Guderian means with these 17 days and 17 nights where basically they they had hardly any pause so it is of course no surprise that um, after those uh, few weeks um, they did crash they they came down big time but at that time, France was already beaten. So the victory was theirs. And then they could really rest. And, and Ranke uh, drove to the front because he wanted to see how his, uh, how his idea basically worked, how his pervitin worked. And he took photos. Um, and first I was surprised when I saw those photos that he took of soldiers because he photographed sleeping soldiers only. Mm -hmm. So all the photos he took in France were of sleeping German soldiers. So they were just sleeping then for days and nights. They just they just had to kind of regain their their energy by sleeping. But this was not a problem because French France was already beaten. So you can see that Pervitin really works in a in a blitzkrieg in a in a war that only lasts for like two three weeks. Um, there were uh, some casualties um, on top of just sleeping. Um, some officers died, but only like a handful. So methamphetamine in increases your heart, uh, uh, your heart starts racing. So some of uh, some officers actually had heart attacks and died, but really not many. And uh, Ranka reported this and the army uh, said, well, this is unfortunate, obviously, but it's just a few men. Uh, so this is nothing compared to the overall, you know, uh, glorious victory we have just achieved. We have to take these casualties into account. Hmm. And I mean, when we're talking about methamphetamine, what effect is it having on the brain when you're taking it? Uh, methamphetamine lets your brain release um, a lot more neurotransmitters uh, than the brain usually releases. Or you could say in a situation of extreme danger, your brain will release 
everything it has to put you on the highest alert it can put you. If you are attacked, uh, if you walk through the woods and a bear attacks you, uh, this, is a, this is a methamphetamine moment in a way, without taking methamphetamine. You're fully, you're fully there trying to figure out how can I get out of the situation or how can I beat the bear or how can I run away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you take methamphetamine, even if you sit in a chair at home, uh, it kind of simulates a similar uh, a situation. Hmm. So um, methamphetamine puts it, it kind of energizes you, uh, but for a high cost, obviously, because uh, after a while you have to replenish, you have to take a rest. Your brain has to replenish those neurotransmitters. It had they have to be re- it has to refill basically. Sure. Um, so so um, it doesn't really make sense to take methamphetamine sitting in a chair doing nothing and be totally overexcited. But it does make sense uh, for uh, fighting, um, a fighting soldier. Mm-hmm. And that's why um, the Nazis were the first army in the world to take methamphetamine. But in a way, they set the example. Um, other armies have very carefully studied what the Germans did and have found their own stimulants uh, to, to supply to their soldiers in order to also make them more combat ready. But the Germans really were the first army to do so. And for the, for the first two years of, the, of World War II, they were the only ones because it took the Allies a while to realize uh, uh, what's going on here. Hmm. Yeah, that was, that was my next question, actually, was, you know, let's say that a, a German plane goes down, the Allies discover Pervitin in the plane— and I mean, how, when did the Allies, did the Allies ever dose their soldiers with drugs? Has this been recorded at all? Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, German planes were shot down over England and British, um, um, the, the Brits found methamphetamine uh, in, in those planes and examined it and also had knowledge, obviously, of amphetamines because amphetamines uh, which uh, in, in, the st- in street slang is called speed, was already available before methamphetamine was uh, coming onto the market. Amphetamine, benzedrine, as, it was, it, it, as the brand name was, was an American product. Benzedrine was an American product of the 30s, and, which was still sold you know, decades later. Uh, the beatnik generation, they always talk about the, the, the benzedrine pills that they pop. So the, also the Brits knew that what stimulants are, but methamphetamine was a, a stronger uh, drug. So they examined it and they um, they wondered whether they should also use it for their pilots, then decided against it because they thought it's too strong, the side effects are too strong. But they, they realized that maybe they have to do something at least. So they, um, they decided to use uh, amphetamines later in the war for their pilots and also for their ground troops. So when German troops and the British troops, Montgomery and Rommel, battle uh, in uh, North Africa, uh, Rommel's people are on meth and uh, Montgomery's people are on speed. Hmm. Okay, okay. So we're starting to paint a picture of what was going on during World War II and, I mean, the huge role that methamphetamine was playing in in the the blitzkrieg and how you know how it was driving the the german forces right so um there there was a point in in the war the blitzkrieg reached Dun, dunkirk and but they were they failed to to trap the uh the 
the British soldiers were trapped and they, they failed to attack. The Germans failed to attack. What what role did the methamphetamine play in this scenario? Well, before um, I, I mentioned that the tank generals were unstoppable, they just raced and raced and raced through enemy territory until they reached the, 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 the Atlantic coast. And Dunkirk is uh, on the Atlantic coast. It was the last port that the uh, that the German forces had not taken yet, so it was the last point uh, that the uh, Allies could use, the the British Army could use, to flee back to uh, to Great Britain. But the Germans could have easily taken the port and destroyed the whole uh, British Army, and they would have won World War II uh, already at this point. But Hitler made a, a fatal mistake. Uh, I mean. It was a good mistake, but uh, for the Nazi war machine, it was a fatal mistake. Hmm. Um, he, ha- he, he ordered the so-called, he issued the so-called halt order, Haltebefehl. Uh, he uh, ordered the German tanks to not take Dunkirk. This is uh, an order that has puzzled historians uh, since the order was uh, given out. I mean, the Brits couldn't believe their luck, uh, the German tanks could have destroyed them and they just stopped and waited for the British to enter Dunkirk and then evacuate uh, by way of, of ships uh, uh, through the channel back into uh, back to Great Britain. Um, what is an explanation for this halt order uh, is that Hitler felt extremely uncomfortable with the tank generals racing faster than he could orchestrate uh, the campaign. He was he was sitting at uh, at his at his in his map house, looking at the map of uh, France, and uh, his adjutant just told him where the troops were. And Hitler was always be lagging, lagging behind. He was not controlling um, the campaign anymore. So giving, telling the tanks to stop now was a way for him to get back in control. So he was a serious control freak. So having control of his army was more important to him than letting his army go and destroy the enemy. The second point is that Göring, number two in the Nazi state and head of the Luftwaffe, the Air Force, mm-hmm. um, and Göring was a morphine addict. He regularly used morphine since 1923. So he often was not in the most realistic uh, mindset that you can imagine, but he was often in a in a trance-like morph- morphine-induced uh, 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 state, and he had the completely impractical idea um, that um, the British forces should be finished off by his forces, by the Luftwaffe, not by the ground troops, not by the tank generals. He said to Hitler, if you let these tank generals finish the job now, they will get too powerful and you will lose uh, power. But if you let me do the job with my Luftwaffe, we can say this is all uh, our genius uh, work together and um, this is a much better way to finish off uh, this campaign. And Hitler believed Göring, which was a big mistake, uh, and uh, the British could flee uh, back to Great Britain could uh, re, uh, regroup and uh, uh, the war continued. Hmm. Okay, okay. So uh, Dr. Morell was a really interesting character uh, in, 
in the war what what part did he play in regards to hitler uh and and the treatment for hitler morel was a celebrity doctor in berlin treating uh actresses and uh aristocrats and um wealthy people he was a doctor feel good um and in 1936, he treated the photographer of Hitler. And the photographer of Hitler, a guy called Hoffmann, was so uh, happy with the treatment of Morel that he introduced Hitler and Morel because Hoffmann knew that Hitler was suffering from severe stomach cramps all the time, uh, bloating and gas. And uh, Hitler really had problems with this extreme pain. And um, Morel was able to cure that um, very quickly, because Morel uh, was very liberal with applying a drug called um, Eucodal, Oikodal. Uh, the main ingredient in Oikodal is uh, oxycodone. Um, it's, a, it's an opioid mm -hmm. um, that uh, Morel was uh, liberally, very liberally applying. And uh, if you have stomach cramps and you, you inject uh, oxycodone those cramps immediately go you don't have that you don't have that problem anymore um and hitler immediately was cured of his uh, severe pain and made morel his personal physician this was in 1936 mm -hmm. so in, from 1936 to 1945 morel was the personal physician of hitler and basically didn't leave his side anymore stayed with him every day gave him injections every day um and this uh, very much changed the way uh, uh, or the the uh, the character and personality of Hitler, who had always been very proud to be a teetotaler, an abstinent person that didn't even drink um, coffee, no alcohol, vegetarian, <coughs> a total health freak. But this changed in a big way uh, when Morel became his personal physician. Hmm. So, so the the first thing that uh, Dr. Morel treated Hitler for was his cough, right? And w were there other things that Dr. Morel was treating Hitler for? Um. Well, Hitler Morel basic usually didn't treat people for any diseases. Morel treated people so they would feel better because if you inject oxycodone in a very high dosage, it's stronger than heroin. You have an extremely um, strong uh, high. So uh, Hitler experienced this high and wanted to repeat this high because he liked it and he became addicted to opioids. So um, Morel didn't really treat him against any diseases except the, 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 the bloating and the stomach problems. But what really happened is that um, Hitler became dependent on those uh, daily injections by his personal physician. Hmm. I, there was this video that I saw, I think it was on Twitter or something, where Hitler is at the Olympics, I think, and he's rocking in his chair really quickly. I mean, was was Hitler on Pervitin as well? Was he on methamphetamine as well? Um. It's not clear whether he was on methamphetamine as well. Morel uh, took notes every day, and his notes are all kept in the Federal Archives in Germany. Um, and to study these notes um, is actually a big task because there are, lot, there are lots of notes, and they're uh, complicated, and they're 
but they, they and they but they can be deciphered and I, I spend a lot of time with these notes and uh, only in one occasion does uh, Morel write down that he gives Hitler uh, methamphetamine that he actually injects Hitler with methamphetamine that this which is quite strong you know, to be get injected with pure methamphetamine hmm. but he only does this one time or he only writes this one time but what he does do is uh, Morel um, develops a medicine that he produces himself uh, he has a, a he has a pharmaceutical company himself and he produces a medicine called uh, Vita Multin which is um, uh, a supplement you could say of several vitamins so he kind of invented the vitamin supplement um, this was his idea he said if you take this every day you won't be sick at all and it's good for you and this this, this Vita Multin that he developed um, he developed a special uh, form of this Vita Multin uh, for Hitler it was always wrapped in gold and foil and Hitler received uh, one of these supplements each day um, for, with lunch, so whenever he he ate a lunch, there was a Vita Multin next to his uh, plate, and there was uh, there's one report of an SS doctor that gets a hold of one of these golden uh, f this golden wrapped Vita Multin and lets them uh, have has them examined uh, in a lab, and the the lab result shows that these Vita Multin um, supplements contained uh, methamphetamine. Um, but I did not see uh, this lab report uh, because unfortunately, or uh, I don't know if it's unfortunate, the fact is that the SS doctor lost uh, this report. So we cannot really be sure if um, methamphetamine really was included in Vitamultin, uh, but it's it's possible. It, it, I, I would say it's probable, but uh, as, a, as a historian or as a researcher, um, I, I cannot say he, that it's guaranteed that he used uh, methamphetamine as well. It's guaranteed that he used lots of drugs, uh, especially opioids, uh, which also make you uh, euphoric if you take them in high dosages uh, intravenously. He also took quite a bit of cocaine. Uh, whether he did take methamphetamine, as I just uh, said, is unclear. Okay, so other than cocaine and meth and and unsure about methamphetamine and the, the opioid uh, Yucadol, what, uh, what else was he taking then? Well, I mean, cocaine and, um, and, and heavy opioids is already quite a lot, sure. but, uh, but he took, in fact, over 90 medications on a regular basis, uh, including some crazy stuff like um, the a uh, extracts of uh, testicles of bulls, uh, to uh, increase his stamina, um, he took. Um, he really liked uh, pig's liver extract, uh, which in a way doesn't make him a vegetarian anymore. Uh, he actually uses a lot of hormones that uh, are uh, harvested from uh, slaughtered animals. Hmm. Um, at the time, I mean, it sounds it sounds crazy, but at the time, people did believe that. Um, animal hormones, and probably still people believe that today, eating things like liver, like it's kind of old school to eat liver, but people eat liver because uh, people say it's full of uh, nutrients and uh, it, it, pro it probably is. 
but uh, to get like a liver extract injected into your veins is 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 is, is somewhat I, I consider this crazy. Sure. And but Morel did this on on, on uh, so Hitler received uh, a lot of uh, steroids, hormone pr- preparations. Uh, his his drug cocktail is 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 completely insane, and is the f- absolute opposite of being an abstinent uh, person, uh, which was the very image that he tried to portray the whole time uh, to the to the world, especially to the German people. Hmm. What was what was the bunker mentality that that Hitler had? And do you think the drugs that he was on affected his reasoning and and you know the reason that the bunker mentality? happened or existed for him well his thinking in a way never changes uh hitler is a racist uh criminal already when he's uh, when he's uh, already in the 20s when he writes his uh hateful book uh, mein kampf um which is a racist book which already outlines his policies and uh, i do not think or at least there's not there are no records that at this time he was using drugs to come up with these ideas. So we cannot really say that drugs form his racist uh, look on the world. Uh, But we can say that um, he later on, especially as the war turns very bad for him and for Germany, he uses lots of euphoric making stimulants, especially the opioids, in order to keep his confidence, uh, there's there's a few notes by Morel. Very typical notes read like, uh, "Führer, um, Führer is leader." Uh, that's how the Hitler was called. Führer has to go into very important military briefing about difficult situation on the Eastern Front. Um, needs uh, needs something to boost uh, his uh, performance for this important uh, meeting. I inject uh, Eucodal 20 milligrams. Uh, Führer, extremely uh, happy after injection, goes into meeting, comes out of meeting, tells me meeting went really well because of uh, application of the medication. So Hitler used the drugs to kind of keep his keep his keep his way, never never question himself, never change his way of thinking. So the drugs he used the drugs to stay narrow-minded in a way. That's why he uses very specific drugs. He uses, uh, he doesn't use, like he doesn't smoke weed in order to kind of have new creative ideas. Hitler certainly didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, He takes drugs that kind of keep him on track and uh, keep him functioning. Um, So the drugs do play, they don't change his thinking, but they do play a way in his decision-making because uh, staying on track for Hitler means removing yourself more and more from reality because reality outside was changing. The war was changing. It was going bad for Germany. Hitler was on the wrong track, but he kept staying on track. That is the bunker mentality. He didn't really look at the world, at the war situation with a clear uh, uh, headset. He didn't rationally, rationally discuss with his generals what they should do in in 43 and 44 when the soviet uh, union was becoming the red army of the soviet union was becoming more and more powerful advancing towards germany hitler just stayed in his bunker the bunker be- his head was the bunker 
Hmm. Uh, he just he just uh, he just said, yeah, we're never gonna you know we're never gonna retreat. We're the superhumans. We're gonna win. There's no question about this. A- anyone who doubts this will be shot. So this was all bullshit. But this is what this is what he what he stayed what he stayed true to, and this led to the final defeat of Germany. So 1945 was when World War II ends. In late 1944, the the Allies decided to bomb pharmaceutical factories in Germany. How did this affect Hitler's supply? And you know what what did he have to do because of this? Well, Hitler had become uh, physically addicted to uh, oxycodone, to eucodal by the end of 1944. He used it every other day uh, in the fall of 1944 uh, in a dosage of 20 milligrams injected intravenously. This is a very high dosage, which makes you very high. And it also makes you extremely addicted. So you cannot stop using it. Problem for him was that when the Merck company, a company that's still a big player today, who was who had the patent on Eupodol and Oxycodone at the time, gets destroyed in an air raid by the Royal Air Force in um, December 1944, um, Yucatan suddenly is not available anymore to Hitler. I mean, Morel probably had a few you know, amp- ampules left, but he didn't have a huge supply because he would always, whenever he needed it, he would go to one pharmacy in Berlin, the Engel Apotheke, and he would get uh, his supplies from that uh, pharmacy. But suddenly this pharmacy couldn't get the supplies anymore from the factory. Um, so a pro- this was a problem for Hitler, and Morel tried to combat this problem, solve this problem in the beginning by sending out his aides on motorcycles through bombed-out Berlin, racing from one pharmacy to the next, trying to find the last you know, supplies of oxycodone. But at one point there was just none to be found anymore, which created a, an awkward situation in the bunker, uh, Hitler being a junkie by now, not having his uh, fix anymore, um, the relationship between the two men soured, uh, and in late April 1945, uh, Hitler fired Morel uh, and was uh, very, very angry at Morel. And this was very unusual to fire someone out of the bunker because Hitler was happy for anyone who would stay with him in the bunker in those last days. But he did fire Morel, kicked him out of the bunker because Morel could supply the drug anymore that he made Hitler addicted to. Oh, wow, it's such a fascinating story. I can I can see why the the book became so popular. I mean, it's it's highly intriguing. The whole story, hearing about it from the historical perspective. It's it's a it's a crazy story. I mean, when I researched it, I myself uh, find, found it extremely interesting. Uh, because it does give you the whole uh, the whole narrative of uh, of World War Two under um, a new angle, mm-hmm. and it 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 tells a new story, but it's still the same story. That it, it, it the old story that we knew just becomes more plausible. We understand it better, and it becomes more vivid, more colorful. Uh, that's why I think the book is very successful and is is of interest to people all around the world. Hmm. Yeah. So after the war ended, uh, what happened with Pervitin? It it stayed in use for a little while, right? It did. Um, I mean, many soldiers who returned home were still addicted to it or used to it. Um, uh, uh, Temla 
still produced it um, in uh, in February 1945. They still produced millions of pills. So uh, when Germany collapsed in May 1945, those pills that were still uh, out there um, flooded the black market. They were very popular on the black market in Berlin and in other cities. Um, we have the phenomenon that women uh, cleared away uh, all the rubble in, in the destroyed German cities. Uh, they're called rubble women. And these rubble women also used then pervitin in order to have that boost of energy because there was not a lot of food at the time. So people, you know, they had just experienced uh, the most horrible war in human history. Their cities have been, had been destroyed. No food, uh, totally difficult, t very difficult living conditions. And then they have to uh, really labor hard in, in order to rebuild the country. So pervitin was still helpful because it does give you an extra boost, uh, even though if you then, you know, you were, might completely crash, but without pervitin, you know, they wouldn't have even, they probably wouldn't have even gotten out of bed anymore. Hmm. Uh, so it was, it was a still popular uh, a product and uh, it was actually manufactured in Germany all the way up until 1980, but its popularity really was uh, during Nazi times and then in, uh, into the 50s. I mean, what you said about Hitler, it wasn't like he was going out, like, searching for himself, you know? He wasn't like Hitler was trying to drink ayahuasca or something. He was just he was just focused on his mission, which was conquering the world, right? Yes. Um, the Nazis and Hitler used a lot of drugs, but a certain, certain types of drugs uh, they didn't use. And this was the, the hallucinogenic drugs, the psychedelic drugs. Uh, or marijuana, they didn't use those drugs um, because those drugs chain, they, they, they make you more uh, aware of yourself sure. and uh, um, ayahuasca is considered uh, by many people to be a very healthy uh, substance to take uh, because it uh, connects you to your uh, body, to your mind, to your soul. This was not something that Hitler was interested in. Um, Hitler was interested in uh, conquering, killing, um, yeah, the very different machine. things. Yeah. yeah, the war machine, yeah. not in psychedelic experiences. Not at all. Norman, no. this was a fascinating read, my friend. Um, where can people find the book? Where can people find more of your work? You can find the book in any bookshop uh, of the United States. Um, you can... And it's very easy to get a hold of, of Blitz, uh, the book. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram, Norman Oler. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, you will get more information on my work and also on the next book, which is called The Bohemians, which will come out in the United States in uh, June 2020. So uh, stay tuned. And um, um, as we all should at all times, right? <laughs> yeah. Is there a website that people can go to uh, where where most of your work is or just the social media platforms? Yeah, you can go to uh, uh, normanola.com and you will find uh, my books and my work and some of the uh, film work that I've done. So that also gives a, a good impression of my work. normanola.com Okay, guys, you heard it here. The book is called Blitz, Dr Drugs in the Third Reich. My guest, Norman Oler, written by my guest, Norman Oler. 
Uh, if you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure you click subscribe, click the little bell so that you notif- get notified when we go live. If you're listening to this in the podcast version, please go over, get over to iTunes, leave us a review. Uh, it, it really helps us reach more people. And uh, one of the biggest compliments that you can give us is by sharing what we do with your friends, family. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're going to get out of here. Got here a little bit late today. So thank you guys so much. You will hear from us next week. Yeah.